Cause he gets up in the morning And he goes to work at nine And he comes back home at 5.30 Gets the same train every time Cause his world is built on punctuality It never fails And he's all so good And he's all so fine And he's all so healthy In his body and his mind Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And this week, I will be reviewing the first two episodes of Mr. Mercedes, which can be found actually for free on either DirecTV or AT&T. So if you just type in Mr. Mercedes AT&T, it'll, it'll bring you to the, uh, the app or the website that, that you need. And that's that's how I viewed those two particular episodes. And I'll get to that in a little bit while well, what uh, the future of, of my reviews regarding Mr. Mercedes holds <clears throat> later. Uh, so before I get any further, though, I, I do want to talk about last episode. And so first of all, I do apologize that um, I'm a couple days behind on on releasing this, this episode because I've just been busy and I... Uh, I don't have episodes pre-recorded the way that I used to uh, during Stephen King Cast 1.0. Uh, now that I'm in Stephen King Cast 2.0, then uh, I'm, I'm really recording once a week, and it's much harder to find the time to actually uh, sit down and record. But I finished watching the, the, the second episode of Mr. Mercedes this weekend, and I wanted to just jump right on it right away, but... Uh, before I, I did, I just kind of lived life, and I had a really good weekend. I don't know how how your weekend was, everyone, but but mine was really really cool. Uh, but last week, last week was a really interesting episode because it was my second interview that I managed to do. Uh, this one with with Matt Kellick from Cotet Nineteen, and if you haven't checked out the the episode because it's a break from the normal format and because it's a conversation with someone that you might not be familiar with, and you just kind of wanted me to stick to reviews of the short stories and the movies and, you know, uh, news about the, the, the upcoming It movie or, or more critique of The Dark Tower or whatever, you know. It, it is one man's musings of the works of Stephen King, so for people that have been used to that, I understand if that's a little bit jarring for someone else to come in. But still, uh, if you haven't listened to it because of that, I strongly recommend that you go out and listen to it. And the, the preceding episode from a, a couple weeks before that, when I spoke with Josh Brucker, the uh, writer-director of One for the Road, these are really good conversations with people that are out there making art based on Stephen King. And if, you know, these are constant readers themselves, these are Stephen King fans, and they're taking all of the dreams and the inspirations that that we all have when it comes to Stephen King and they're giving back into the world in very interesting and creative ways. So if you haven't listened to them, make sure that you go out and listen to them. And if you want to buy a really cool t-shirt, then head on over to uh, to ka-tet19.net and support Matt. And similarly, um, the, the website that I had plugged before for One for the Road uh, is it's no longer where you're going to need to to donate if you're interested in, in helping out Josh. The production has been moved back a little bit um, in order to, to give some more breathing time to, 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 to raising funds for the movie. So if you head on over to 
one for the road 2018, then all of the information that you will need to to, don- to donate and, and help make this this movie possible will be there for you. So again, I strongly recommend that that you that you um, help that out because that's something that we're all taking a part of, um, and and we are all involved in in helping to make that happen. And if every Stephen King cast listener just pledged five bucks. That five dollars that you are are making will guarantee that this movie gets made. Um, but then you can also say that you helped make this happen, which is more than just waiting for the Dark Tower movie. How many of you wish that you had a say in the Dark Tower movie? How many of you wish that you had donated money um, for someone that had a stronger vision make that movie? Well, you can do that by heading on over to One for the Road 2018 and uh, donating whatever you feel comfortable with. But if you do that, I, I guarantee my voice super cracked. But if you do that, I guarantee you that, that you will be able to, to sleep tight knowing that you have helped fund a vampire uh, story set in the world of Salem's Lot starring Lance Hendrickson himself by a Stephen King fan who just one day wanted to take this movie and did everything he could to, to make it happen. So if you have enjoyed the interviews, uh, I have a couple more interviews coming up uh, over the next couple weeks, and it's something that, that I'm excited about, uh, sitting down and being able to talk to fans of, of Stephen King that are out there in the world doing fun and creative things with his intellectual property um, based on the fact that we're all creative types and have been inspired by by the King. I've been inspired to make a podcast about him. Others are inspired to go make movies, t-shirts, music. Um, so I I like opening up the Stephen King cast to to give um, a stage upon which uh, people can, can share their experiences. Now, before I get any further, I want to uh, read a, an iTunes review. So if you haven't done so already, please head on over to iTunes because... I believe that there's more interest in Stephen King over the last couple months, especially with the It movie coming out soon. And if you want the Stephen King cast to to, to be more recognized, and I certainly do, uh, the, the more reviews I get, uh, just bump it up on the, the iTunes charts. And uh, by no means am I a top-rated uh, you know, podcast. I currently am the highest-rated Stephen King podcast, which is awesome. I would like to keep it that way, but I can't do it alone. I need your help. So head on over to iTunes to, uh, to leave a review if you have time. I know that we're all strapped for time, and 24 hours in the day can fly by. Um, but if you do have a couple minutes, it would greatly help me out. Thank you. So for, for instance, we have Paratrooper1775 who writes... Great podcast. I'm a fan of Stephen King, and I've been listening to this podcast for a while. I picked up my first Stephen King book, Night Shift, in 1986 when I was in 6th grade, and I have enjoyed most of his work since then. I have tickets to go see Stephen King for the first time in Milwaukee with his son, and I am pumped. The host is full of information, and it's interesting to listen to his thoughts on the stories and movies. I started with the podcast of my favorite story, Salem's Lot, and moved around from there. Thank you for all of your hard work. I can't tell you, I can tell you put a lot of time and effort into each episode. So, uh, Paratrooper1775, thank you so much for writing in. And like I said, anyone that hasn't done so already, please feel free to, to, to do so. Um, before I get into the emails, you might hear in the background some white noise that just kicked in. It's still summer. Uh, the, the AC just kicked in. But it also leads me to get to my next point. Something's up with my sound quality, and I can't quite figure out what it is. So if there has been uh, some strangeness and a, uh, a break from the consistency, 
I, I don't know what happened to my settings. I don't even know what my settings had been, but uh, but the settings aren't right. So if there is, maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that notices it. Uh, but if you do notice something, please understand that I'm trying to fix this. Um, some things I'm not going to fix, like the, the air conditioning is coming on, and the air conditioning is going gonna, is gonna to come on. Uh, but just the, I don't know. I don't know. The, for whatever reason, the sound, and I don't even know how to describe it, maybe the volume levels, maybe the compression, I'm not quite sure. Uh, this is where my, my expertise on podcasting kind of dips. But um, it is a work in progress. But up next, I have some emails. And uh, please note that this email is a Dark Tower spoiler for both the movie and the book. So if you haven't seen the movie and if you haven't read the books, then uh, please be warned that this, this email is chock full of, of, uh, of spoilers. So Trey writes, I just can't get the image out of my head of the opening shot from The Gunslinger. Just a vast, wide shot of a tiny figure walking through this beautiful, terrible, desolate desert. To me, The Gunslinger seems like such a cinematic book. Sure, it's not a summer blockbuster, but not much of King is. It seemed like such a slam dunk to have just a simple story with hints at an endless universe that would leave everyone wanting more. King knew that, and I guess that's why he is who he is. But I wonder if he were to go back and try to rewrite The Gunslinger with all of his Dark Tower knowledge now, if it wouldn't be a lot closer to the movie we got. The book was probably so simple because he himself didn't realize the scope of the universe he was creating. I'm curious, with the, births, with the birth of your newest co-host, will you show them all of the, all of King and these adaptations, the good, the bad, and the mangler? <laughs> uh, between it and Firestarter Season 2, Stranger Things, uh, this fall, it seems unlikely to disappoint Trey. Uh, Trey, great question. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know my, my newest co-host. Uh, I'm going to... There are some things I'm going to push on her. Um... And I don't know quite when to, to start that. And I don't know about the Stephen King. If she's interested, certainly I will let her explore. But I don't know. Because part of me feels like if I want her to like something, isn't me saying, hey, this is great. Isn't that the exact thing that will cause her to not like it? Um, I don't know. Then again, she whatever I'm eating and whatever my wife is eating, she wants to eat. So she does show interest in... In the things that we do, so maybe, maybe she uh, she'll get into Stephen King, and she can listen to her dad drone on for hours and hours and hours on the Stephen King cast, which I can't imagine a a more fun and productive way for a a daughter to spend her time just listening to her dad lecture her about the the analytical qualities of what makes Stephen King great. Um, but I think that you're totally onto something about what Stephen King knew and did not know when he wrote the the Gunslinger back in the day. And you're right, I, I, the, the, the rewrite to The Gunslinger that came out to, to preface the, the final three books in 2004, I'm not a fan, you know? Um, and he rewrote that, or revised it, I should say, with the knowledge of the, the later books, and it feels less. Now, I would say that The Gunslinger as it stands, the original, it, it doesn't mesh tonally with the the rest of the books, but there's something to be said about watching this man's journey as a writer, as he as his character continues his journey. Um, so I I would take it the way that it is than the than what the movie gave us for for sure. And up next we have uh, Nicole 
who, again, spoiler alert for Dark Tower stuff, I have to say I agree with everything you said in your podcast. I just wonder, why has no one noticed the direct explanation of how it came to be in Derry and how it got past the Guardians? In the part where Roland is, is explaining to Jake what the tower is, why it matters, what the beams are, and that there are Guardians protecting us from outside entities, he picks up a spider which crosses the beam. That is a direct reference and an explanation of how it got to Earth. Has no one else other than myself noticed this? I caught it and nearly jumped out of my seat. Thanks, Nicole. Nicole, um, that's definitely a, a, a good reading of that. Um, so good job. Up next, we have Felix, who writes, Dear fellow constant reader, I started listening to your show very recently as I was searching for Stephen King-related podcasts in preparation for the release of the Dark Tower film. My introduction to Stephen King was The Gunslinger nine years ago. The Dark Tower saga quickly became my favorite story. I've read it three times and it sparked my love for Stephen King's work as a whole. I meant to write you before your review episode, but I didn't get a chance. I cry your pardon. Fortunately, your episode covered how I felt about the film, but I wanted to bring up two aspects that stood out to me and get your thoughts on them. One, the tower. Was the tower even shown with the Field of Roses? I only remember seeing the portion that extends above the clouds in multiple shots. How in the world did we get a Dark Tower movie and not once did we see it surrounded by the Field of Roses? Walter's depiction. Recall the unsettling meeting Jonas has with the man in black and wizard in glass. This line, for example, for one moment, Jonas thought it was Fardo, Court's father, in this room with him, that it was the man who had sent him west all those years ago, and he reached for his gun again. Then it was just the man in black, smiling at him in an unpleasantly knowing way, those blue eyes dancing like the flame from gas jets. There was nothing in Walter's film adaptation that came close to this characterization. Walter reminded me much of the Purple Man from Jessica Jones in that his sole power is the ability to control people by simply telling them what to do. However, Roland is impervious to this magic, and so Jake, so is Jake based on the final scenes, but it's never explained why that's the case. Ain't that the truth? Um, so yeah, Felix, uh, you're, you're, you're totally right, and no, we did not see the, the Field of Roses, uh, the, the Red Fields of Cancano Ray. And you're, you're totally right. That what we got from from Walter and Matthew McConaughey, who I do want to be on record saying that he is still great casting for this role. It just it was mangled. I don't know if he if he himself didn't have the the most nuanced grasp of who this character is. I don't know if he was if it was pitched to him differently or Nikolai or Cell or Sony or MRC or I don't know. I don't know where it fell apart but it definitely fell apart and instead of this great description that you get of someone that is so just he just knows how to manipulate people and he just derives pleasure from it and he um darkles and tinks and he just he's grinning and there's something unnerving about that instead of that we get him cooking chicken and just being really really over the top um up next we have brent who writes dear stephen king podcast Brent here, and as a list, I, I, I want to, uh, to actually correct you. Um, the, the Stephen King podcast, it, this is ridiculous because, you know, when I, when I hit the scene, uh, you know, it, it's, I didn't create the most memorable podcast name, um, and it, it, it kind of uh, steps on the toes of those that have come before me, including the Stephen King podcast, which everyone should go out and listen to. Um, Lou and Lilia, I'm sorry, Lou and Lilia, uh, very alliterative. Uh, they they do a really really good job, um, and I, I believe they might have 
been the first Stephen King podcast, uh, really. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's entirely true. Uh, but uh, I do know that Lilia has just been the man at uh, at just become at, at being the resource for Stephen King for years, and uh, so just I just wanted to make sure that they get the the, the proper shout out here. So um, the Stephen King podcast, you can head on over there because uh, those guys do do really good work. So Brent here, and as a listener of your show and watcher of the Missed TV show, I thought I'd give my two cents on how the show has progressed since you last gave your thoughts on it. I'm going to jump in. So for everyone that isn't familiar, I did a review of the Missed episodes one through three um, earlier this summer, and spoiler alert for the rest of the series so far, um, because uh, Brent is is going to spoil it for us. Uh, I wish I could give you good news, but as of episode 7, I can say that this show has yet to improve. Don't get me wrong, it is still doing enough to grab my interest, but in terms of quality and character development, it still has much to be desired. This mainly has to do with the fact that almost every character now has become unlikable, and the worst case scenario you imagined in regards to Alex's rape turned out to be true. It turns out that Adrian did lie, and he was in fact the one who took advantage of her while she was knocked out. I normally don't consider myself much of a social justice warrior, but just seeing a gay character like Adrian be revealed not only to be a sexual predator, liar, and even now a victim of mental illness just doesn't sit right with me. In a sick and twisted way, the show has made me sympathize and agree with Adrian's homophobic father in regards to rejecting him and labeling Adrian as a freak-slash-monster. While the season is not over, and I don't want to uh, justify an unfinished product so harshly, the type of message this show has sent in terms of both mental illness and sexual relations to me has just seemed wrong and has fallen in line with the old gay people can't be trusted around us narrative. In regards to a show like this that you and I had high expectations for, I hate to say that you were right, but you were. While I'm still interested in the setting and the concept of the story, the showrunners lack of ability to really create any characters that I care about, and its unintentional victim-blaming has really soured my thoughts on the show as a whole. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show so far as well, and whether or not you agree with my assessment of it so far. Always love the podcast. Sincerely, Brent. Brent, thank you for for filling us in. Um, And like I had said, something along those lines had been my concern. And there isn't, you know, I mean, it's a very nuanced world that, that we live in. And, and there's no such thing as, uh, you know, uh, extreme good and extreme bad. Well, <laughs> unless you're a Nazi, then there's no argument and you're bad. But, um, but I mean, I, I think that there are stories to be told about perceptions uh, and how, how we perceive others and, you know, being a wolf in sheep's clothing and, and, and whatever. I, I think that there are conversations to be had about the themes that are present in the mist. I just feel like the handling of these themes uh, is, well, it, it's like, spoiler alert for, for Under the Dome, I feel it's like the aliens in Under the Dome uh, just putting us all through the ringer just for entertainment and and the aliens were just children and I just I get the same sensation that the intent behind saying I want to work with these themes and explore it and, and make a statement I'm totally for it but the execution is lacking to say the least and in this heightened awareness um, where we're always on the precipice of change and 
we can envision a future where there is great change. And whether you consider yourself to be a social justice warrior or not, and whether you think that's a positive connotation or uh, a, ne- a negative insult, it doesn't matter. I mean, so many people can, can see a brighter future, and there are those that are working against it. And because there is conflict there, that conflict allows for stories to be told that are ripe for discussion. And while the mist might have had all the best intentions, the, the, the messages and the, the culmination of these themes were as foggy um, and cloudy uh, and just messy as the mist itself, I would say. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go back to the mist. If I have time, um, I might, uh, but I don't really foresee my, my, uh, my calendar or my clock to... Uh, the clock to slow down or my calendar to uh, to clear itself in the in the next couple of months. So I, I don't know if I'm going to sit down and uh, review a show that I was lukewarm on at best. Joel writes, I love your cast. Very good. A nice articulate analysis of King's work. Keep it up. I really liked your It casts. And 112263 is one of my favorite books of all time. I cried for the last 100 pages. Um, On a different note, did you notice in Bizarre of Bad Dreams that many of the stories deal with the older slash elderly people facing death? I thought it was really interesting. King nearing 70 um, was writing about older woolly so often. Not a bad thing. My dad's the same age. It was just something I noticed. Thank you for your great and intelligent commentary on King's work. Thank you. Continue on, constant reader. Joel, uh, thank you for for writing in. Um, Joel or or Joel, I I don't know the the, the pronunciation, but... um, Thank you for writing in. Uh, yes, I, I, I definitely, it's a great observation about his, his writing lately of, of death and mortality. Um, you know, he's always done a great job, you know, writing of whatever age he has been in. Um, but he's also been, been good writing at ages he has either been previously, um, which sounds like it might be easy, but it's, it's not. Um, and then, looking ahead in the future um, and, and, and writing about characters uh, of ages that he hasn't hit yet. Um, but with that said, as he ages, he is definitely providing some deep thought into um, mortality. And I think that this is most pronounced in Revival, a novel which I don't believe gets enough credit, but it does provide one of the bleakest most horrific looks at what lies beyond life um, and just the obsession of death throughout the book is is pretty wait for it electric but uh, but no this 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 latest phase of Stephen King um, as he hits um, a new time period in his life is is really really interesting and that's the joy of getting to read the works of an author who has been as prolific as he has been for as long as he has been, you get to to watch his viewpoints on on just the existence of life um, as he's charted his way from uh, young adulthood all the way through through um, old age, and uh, and being able to to look back into the past with with such uh, such an exact vision to be able to give us the story of childhood whether it be it or the body, um, and then, you know, come full circle and, and, and tell, uh, the story of, of aging, um, with, with insomnia. Again, that was him looking ahead. 
he was in his 40s at the time of writing Insomnia, but I, I would imagine that if 70-year-old King were able, were able to look back on how 40-year-old King wrote about Ralph Roberts, I, I, I don't know. I'm a 36-year-old guy. But I imagine that he, he would be pretty impressed with his, his writing style and his ability to capture um, old age, says a 36-year-old. All right, guys, if you haven't done so already, head on over to, uh, to, to your email and write, um, write me an email at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And, you know, I can share your thoughts on the air because I, I don't like doing this alone. Um, I, I, we are a, a larger quartet, um, and uh, it's important for, for you to be able to share your thoughts on all things Stephen King, how you got into Stephen King, all the Stephen King properties that, uh, that are hitting our television screens and uh, the movie screens lately and what your hopes are and what your dreams are and your thoughts and your fears and the whole nine yards. So write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com and I'll be able to share your stuff on the air. All right, everyone, and with the iTunes reviews and the emails out of the way, it's time for me to talk about Mr. Mercedes. So... Um, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Mercedes. Uh, I have been on record not liking Mr. Mercedes, especially Mr. Mercedes, um, liking most of, uh, Finders Keepers and liking End of Watch better than Mr. Mercedes. But as a whole, I was not a major fan of this trilogy and uh, you can get all of my thoughts um, in the reviews that I did. Um, the reviews are not nearly as lengthy as some of my other uh, reviews of King's works, um, but nevertheless, I think that I'm able to succinctly get to, uh, get to my, my issues, um, which revolved around um, the fact that I, I felt that even though the, this was King going for hard-boiled, and the, the, the trope of the, you know, retired detective coming out of retirement for the, the one case that he wasn't able to crack and the, um, the, the cat and mouse game um, and the, 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 and just Bill Hodges himself, I guess, was my, my, my biggest issue. But, I mean, I know that he, he wasn't trying to break new ground and I wasn't expecting him to break new ground. It's just that the story that he wound up crafting with these characters I found lacking. Um, most notably with the main character of Bill. With that said, spoiler alert, for the conclusion of the, the series, I did find myself, uh, you know, rooting for him at the end, and there is tragedy there at the end, and King is able to do tragedy um, like like nobody else, save maybe for George R.R. R. Martin. But, uh, but no, I, I felt cold by, by these three books, so when I heard that there was a Stephen King adaptation of Mr. Mercedes coming from uh, David E. Kelly, I, I I wasn't very excited about it simply because I thought to myself, well, David E. Kelly, I mean, I don't know why you want to get in on this property. And then I didn't really follow any of the news that, 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 really, that, that really came from it. Um, now, I do want to say this before I get any further. Um, I sat down and I watched the first episode last week, um, and it was Saturday, uh, and it just so happened to be the, um, the day of the Charlottesville, um, riots, uh, in which a white supremacist, um, ran over, uh, 
a young woman. And I was very uncomfortable um, watching Mr. Mercedes that night because, as we all know, that is how um, it's what kicks off the, 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 the whole story. Now, um, I, I did want to talk about it right away. I did have some time the next day. Um, I could have recorded. Um, I still feel kind of uncomfortable talking about it with with the, the fact that the, these events are, are, are so close to this review. Um, but uh, because the, the, the show is airing and because, of course, this was written be, before this happened, um, I'm going to you know release this, this publication. But I, I did want to note that we are very close to a real-life tragedy um, that should not have have happened um, and uh, but just please I, I I mean I'm gonna talk about you know the the books and I'm gonna get into to graphic detail and I just I guess for anyone where if you are closer to the situation than I am uh, or if this is very upsetting to you and if it's very raw please understand that I will be discussing a the, the, the story that's being presented to us, which includes um, very gruesome deaths by car in which a car does run through a crowd um, with a character who, spoil alert, um, basically becomes a terrorist. So there is... there it, It's a little bit too real at the moment to, to fully um, escape into fantasy world. Um, so if you listen to this for pleasure and you are really sickened and saddened and upset at the state of America, especially what has been occurring uh, over the, well, it's been occurring for a while now, but, uh, but most notably um, the last couple weeks with, with what happened in, in Charlottesville, then um, you might want to just not listen to the rest of this episode and then come back at, at a later date when, when you've when you've had enough distance from it and you feel like you can just listen to, to one guy in his basement talk about Mr. Mercedes. All right, so I guess with, with all of that said, um, this is, the, the whole thing is actually kind of weird uh, with, with Stephen King and, the, and, and, and Mr. Mercedes. Mr. Mercedes, the, the trilogy, I should say, it's strangely has a strange like premonition quality to it so spoiler alert for the end of the book for the entire series um, the, the, the end of the book involves Brady's master plan of trying to explode a bomb at a concert of a uh, popular band for you know young adults flash forward to this spring in England when a terrorist exploded a bomb at an Ariana Grande concert, which, again, it was was so similar to the events of this book, which, of course, had been written before the events of real life, that it caused David E. Kelly to change the ending of this series. And then, in End of Watch, Brady's master plan is to use uh, the internet and use these electronic games to... Uh, to get in the heads of, of victims in order for them to kill themselves. And over the last couple months, there's been a lot of talk online in news stories 
about this blue whale internet game that supposedly has led to some teen suicides. So again, um, I don't believe that Stephen King based his ideas off of the the blue whale um, internet game, but it's, it's eerily similar. And then, sadly, what's really creepy is that uh, Brady um, is played by Harry Treadwell, who wasn't the first pick. Um, it had been previously cast to Anton Yelchin, who unfortunately and sadly, tragically, passed away from a freak accident in which he was run over by his car. So when you kind of take all of this... It's just kind of creepy, weird, coincidental um, that all of these events that we see within Mr. Mercedes are coming true in real life. Um, super creepy. Uh, but I, I, I don't know what it means. It could just be speculation. It could be that Stephen King is a low-level psychic. I don't know. But all I know is that there are some serious coincidences occurring in real life with, oh my god, I sound like a super crackpot theorist right now um i do apologize i don't want to sound insane maybe i've gone insane the events that have been taking place in this country over the last couple years will certainly do that to anybody uh and i now i sound even more insane because i sound like just some like lunatic uh they're coming to get you i don't i'm dr amp i'm shovel your way out of this shit now i am just spewing stuff out of my face sorry guys um those of you who don't know Dr. Amp, uh, you should all be watching uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Only three episodes left. I won't spoil it. I will not spoil it. Sorry, guys. Um, so going back to Mr. Mercedes. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I heard that David E. D. Kelly was 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 doing it. Um, then I heard that Jack Bender was, was involved. So here is my thought. My disdain for the books overrode two universal truths. That I have um, one universal truth is um, when it comes to David E. Kelly. Um, my background and my history with with David E. Kelly is this: I loved, loved, picket fences. Not just like liked picket fences. I loved picket fences in the '90s when FX first hit the scene. One of the things that FX does, I believe it was FX, um, but it would show. You know, it didn't have, uh, you know, the new original series. Um, what it did was it would show, you know, the shows in syndication. Um, it wound up getting Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But uh, one of the first shows was Picket Fences. And man, I have distinct memories of just getting glued to that show um, in the summer of 96, maybe, maybe 97. But I loved it. It was right up my alley. This And for, for Stephen King fans, I, I believe that you would get something out of Pick Offenses if you haven't watched that. It might have been David E. Kelly's first show. But small town life. Um, very, very Castle Rock-like town without the, the, the overly supernatural elements. Although it was, it was weird. I mean, there was a weird quality to the point where we almost saw a crossover between Pick Offenses 
and the X-Files. No joke, that almost happened, but um, we had one show that was on ABC, I believe, and one show that was on Fox, and we never saw uh, a crossover due to, if I'm correct in my thinking and how I remember this, uh, bad on me, I'm not doing the research, but I believe it was a fact that the, the two um, television studios couldn't couldn't really work out a deal. As a result, we wound up seeing a um, episode of uh, the X-Files that kind of took the idea that they were going to use with Picket Fences and, and turn it into its own thing. So there's an episode about from the X-Files in which I believe there are cows that are giving birth to children or something like that, um, and that would have been the plot. I believe that Picket Fences did something similar um, and kind of told their version of the story, but I'm not quite sure what it was. I'm not as versed in Picket Fences as I am in The X-Files, which isn't to say that I didn't love Picket Fences with my whole heart, um, because I did. So that was one aspect of, that's one universal truth that I needed to share. And the second one is Jack Bender, guys. Jack Bender might not be a name that you are familiar with, but it's certainly a name that I am strongly familiar with. So there are three names that, that come to mind um, when it comes to the television show Lost. All right, And those three names are Damon Lindelof, Carlton Cuse, and Jack Bender. Okay. Yeah, you thought I was going to go with J.J. Abrams, right? So yeah, of course, J.J. Abrams was involved in the, the, the creation of it and you know, kind of getting it off and running. But the show itself, really, the way it was, it was cultivated and cultured and the, the themes were explored, the characters were, were, were fleshed out and really created through um, first Damon Lindelof um, and then in season two, uh, Damon brought on uh, Carlton Cuse. But throughout it... Um, the, the, the direction of Jack Bender really helped give the show what it was. And one of the greatest episodes of any television show ever. The, 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 there's one hour of television that is just so special, so beautiful, so poignant. Of course, that's the constant. Um, he gave us that. Um, and I could, you know, there's so many episodes of, of Lost that, that he did. But he was one of the, the, the shepherds. Um, pun intended, um, of of that show and the look and the feel and the themes and and how that show came to be. Michael Giacchino would be another name, but uh, but um, Jack Bender certainly helped bring us the show that 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 I fell in love with. Um, and he also had a memorable turn as a director on on Lost on on uh, Game of Thrones last season. Um. The door, of course, is is his, uh, which has gone down as one of the greatest uh, Game of Thrones episodes, uh, and part of the reason of that is the success of Jack Bender's vision behind the camera. So, so we have a show based on a uh, product that I was not too happy with being made by two people that I greatly admired and respected hmm. and then I heard that Harry Treadwell was going to be involved and I had just gotten through watching Penny Dreadful which if you guys have not seen Penny Dreadful if you want to just watch just basically what uh, Universal is trying to do with their dark universe and you want to actually see it done in like the, the time period that should be done. If you just want to see like this shared universe of your classic monsters, then just watch Penny Dreadful because they did it. And there's action in it in the Victorian uh, 
time period um, that takes place in because there is room for action because there were adventurers and there were explorers and the Timothy Dalton character um, allows us to, to have that, but it's all rooted in horror and it, it's great and it, it, it's fantastic. It was a really, really good show, not without its faults, but but still, I mean, it. if you like your classic monsters and you want to see this ragtag group come together to, to fight monsters, then yes, this is this is definitely the show for you, seeing as how the dark universe is never going to, to come to fruition. But um, Harry Treadwell uh, played Victor Frankenstein, uh, and he did so very, very, very well. And um, so when I heard that he got cast, I said, okay, well, this guy's got some chops, because I really like what he did with Frankenstein. And uh, okay, so now I had... Uh, Jack Bender, I had David E. Kelly, Harry Treadwell, and then Brendan Gleeson. Guys, Brendan Gleeson, like, he just brings so much gravitas and legitimacy to a project. So there was definitely talent involved. And then I heard that um, Mary Louise Parker was going to be in it. And I'll, I'll I, look, I mean, talk about crushes. I have had a major crush on her. I, I think that anyone that watches The West Wing, it, it's hard not to. And of course, then Weeds was such an addictive show. And what's interesting about Weeds uh, was that it's actually like two shows. Uh, th- there's two distinct eras um, of what that show was. There, And then when when she left, I can't remember the name of the town, and it's going to drive me nuts, but there was the show up until that, and then there was the show everything after, and it had its own tone and 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 feel, and kind of just became like a, a cartoon version, more wacky antics. But everything up until then, the adventures of Nancy Botwin when she was in uh, the town on the tip of my tongue, uh, you know, was one show, and and she owned it, and that was a great show to watch because she is magnetic in that role, and. Um, so when I heard that she was going to be in it, oh my God. Okay. So now we're starting to fill out this cast. We got some really great creative types, uh, at the helm. We were filling it out with a fantastic cast. Um, but still the, 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 the fact that I was not that interested in the, the, the books held me at length. And of course, all of my excitement was, was being funneled towards the dark tower and it two properties that I greatly, um, you know, cared for, and so I, I couldn't drum up excitement for for Mr. Mercedes. And then the trailer came out, and um, I didn't hate it. I said, okay, you know, it's not bad. Um, even though it was on AT&T, like AT&T is now in the game for, for streaming services, okay, whatever. Um, but now I suddenly, I, I wasn't opposed to it. And then, like I said, I sat down last week on probably the worst day to watch it, um, you know, and so I was balancing my displeasure with the books with hesitant optimism uh, based on the talent um, involved both behind the camera and in front of the camera, knowing that I had just been so badly burned from the Dark Tower, I was still smoking and despite the fact that I had disdain for the, the, the books, and despite the fact that real-life um, tragedy had occurred that day, and despite the fact that I was still smoking and <laughs> because of what the Dark Tower had done, guys, this is a really good show. Um, this is a really good show. And I will get into the many reasons why, but I just got to say, 
I am thinking about subscribing to the AT&T, I don't even know what it's called, but the AT&T uh, app just to continue watching it because I'm sure it's going to wind up on Netflix or Amazon or something later, but I want to keep on watching it week to week. That's how much I like it. Um, and it's interesting to me because it is so familiar because the, the story beats are supposed to be tropish, but at the same time, I you know, read this whole story across three books and the right now we're reading, you know, Mr. Mercedes um, and we'll get to End of Watch and uh, Finders Keepers later or the other way around Finders Keepers and End of Watch later. But, uh, but no, I, I found the familiar, familiarity very comforting and I felt like it was the best realized version of what this story could be and what the story was not necessarily in the books. But, Let's get exact. Let me go beat by beat here. Um, so we have a very effective opening. You know, we have memorable characters. Not the greatest characters ever created in television, don't get me wrong, but memorable characters that are quickly defined. Okay, we have that, that, that point of view character. We have the young mother down on her luck. We have that grouchy asshole. Now, we don't need to meet everybody that's in line for this job fair, but we meet enough. We meet enough to make us care, and that, it's enough, and it, it, it works well. It does its job. David E. Kelly and Jack Bender know what they're doing. They know how to establish what they need to establish in order to hook us enough, and that's what they do here. Um, and then just when we care enough, Jack Bender makes the opening scene come to life um, in gruesome detail. He doesn't pull any punches whatsoever. Bray's attack is horrific. Jack Bender does not pull away from it at all. He doesn't stylize it. He just presents us a murder spree with ugly brutality, with bluntness. It creates immediate carnage and mayhem and tragedy. Within five minutes, the characters that we just met, they're dead. Not only did they die, they died badly. And we were there for every moment of it. And not only am I talking about the effectiveness when it comes to the attack, everything leading up to that moment, like I said, establishing the characters, um, there, just it's, there's a slick look to this show. It looks really, really well presented. Um, the, 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 the use of the mist curling on, on the grounds. I mean, there's better use of, of, of mist in this show than the show that shares the same name with the mist. Um, the, the image of the clown face as it mows people over, it works. It works. And, you know, because I was going into the show with some prejudice against the show on a day of tragedy, like I said, in lesser hands, I would have turned this off immediately. Um, but there is a master class quality that, that seems is, is crafting this scene that you are able to, despite the fact that it is so raw and is so fresh, you are able to acknowledge what they are doing and you understand why they're doing it despite the brutality um, and you trust the filmmakers as they are giving us this show. And then we meet Brendan Gleeson as Bill Hodges um, and the, 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 the weariness and the weight of these murders is immediately weighing on him and he sells it. And that's one thing that I'm going to say about Brendan Gleeson here is he sells every moment as he's living as Bill Hodges in a way that I never got from Bill Hodges in the book. Like I said, 
I feel like this is the best realized version of this character and the best realized version of this story. And it just so happens that it's it's taking everything that King did, but it's being brought out and executed masterfully by David E. Kelly and Jack Bender. So years later, we then meet, you know, Bill again. He's retired. He's barely living. I mean, so you can't really say that he's taking the most out of, of life. You know, it's those post-retirement blues. And he has nothing to live for. And then they're foreshadowing. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. See, guys, I'm getting better at it. Spoiler alert for the conclusion of the trilogy. Because we know that, spoiler alert, um, Bill dies at the end due to cancer, um, it just really seems to me that they're they're telegraphing this very very early on with his um, struggle to to pee, um, you know, every morning. You can chalk it up to having an enlarged prostate, um, you know, that, that comes with old age. But but here it seems that uh, that that that's that's where it's um, where it's going to be heading. So after meeting up with Pete, he returns home, passing the ominous ice cream truck on the way home. There we're introduced to a, a, a new character who was not in the books, Ida, his next-door neighbor, who both uh, scolds him for his neglected lawn, but then invites him to dinner as well. Now, this is a very fun character. It helps break the monotony of Bill's depression. Now, David E. Kelly knows that he can still illustrate Bill's downward spiral without having to rub it in our faces and create a, a, a one-note tone of depression and despair and take it seriously. He knows that he's able to give us levity and lightness because that is life. And there's, you know, you can still laugh and not feel good about yourself. Um, so that, that's what Ida does. She, she breaks that monotony. Um, and a lesser show would only showcase that misery and, and that loneliness, but not David E. Kelly and not Jack Bender. They give us this, this nuance with his day drinking and allow Brendan Gleeson to be able to sell us on his inner conflict without having to be so overt about it. And this is a great decision because it allows for Bill to have wonderful character moments with the hockey playing kids outside and with Ida. Now, Ida, guys. This is a great addition. You know, talking about not giving any Fs. You know, this was so unexpected and great. And maybe, um, you know, I talk about being burned by the Dark Tower. Maybe, you know, one of the, the faults of that movie was that it just ran through everything and it didn't allow any scene to breathe. But not here, you know. David E. Kelly and Jack Bender, they, they let these characters fill up the story. The Dark Tower wouldn't have these character beats. And I appreciate that what we're being given here. These scenes do not feel forced. They feel organic. They spring from the script naturally. They allow the actors to possess the characters and interact with each other in a way that is fun and fresh and feels just natural. There's a naturalism to this that, that I really appreciate. And then Hodges returns home he pours himself a fresh one. He plops himself down in front of the computer to check his email. And now we get the inciting incident that will propel the rest of the series forward. So this email, of course, is from Brady. It looks cheesy as all hell, but that works because the, the, the cheesiness is intentionally cheesy because you got to keep in mind that it is being delivered by someone who thinks that this is scary and but no this is what um an internet troll 
thinks is creepy and dangerous. So, again, I, I hate to keep bringing up these these horrible acts in real life, but if you think back in, in 2000 and... Um, 2005, 2008, 2000, was it 2013? When did the Dark When did the Dark Knight Rises come out? Whenever the Dark Knight wrote, ri- ri- you know, whenever the Dark Knight rose, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, there was the Aurora shooting in Aurora, Colorado, and the guy that did it, you know, wanted to be the Joker, you know, and you just look at the guy and he just looks like a goober. You know, I mean, there's nothing so powerful about his villainy. You know, he doesn't command respect. He just, he he just looks like, he just looks like a troll, you know. Um, And then similarly, there was an episode of Catfish where um, one of the co-hosts, Max, just lights up a guy, again, who just wants to be the Joker and who's talking all cryptically and... You know, trying to be threatening in these really like cryptic, mischievous way of speaking, and he again, he just just comes across like an asshole. You know, they're, 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 these people aren't scary. You know, they don't impose fear or intimidation. They they, they don't impress anybody with their quote unquote villainy. You know, there, there's a a pathetic nature to them. You know, that just uh, pathetic with a limitless mean streak, I guess. Um, and it's nothing to be celebrated, or and it's nothing to be marveled over, and you know, and, and that's what we get here with Brady. It, it's just the, the 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 tastelessness of this email. It, it doesn't present a Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, right? It, it doesn't present this this great rival. It just presents a a warped mind that should not be regarded with any sort of respect and it just makes you really root for Hodges and you understand why he wants to get Brady so badly. Then the next day the formation of our Cotet starts to pull together when Jerome makes his first appearance. He's mowing Bill's lawn and Bill throws a beer can at his head. Um, Now through Jerome, Bill learns a little bit about what he's dealing with and we start to see a possible Jerome versus Brady technological know-how showdown at some point which is exciting. And then we meet Brady's mom, and it is as creepy and disturbing as it possibly could be. And I'm really surprised that they went there, because this is not subject matter that you really see on television very often. And it's understandable why. It's just icky. It's really disturbing, and they don't shy away from it. Uh, And you have to give them credit for that. And we learn about his basement. Um, And I gotta be honest, my... At that point, my internet connection kind of got screwed up, but did his countdown start at 19? I don't remember that from the books, Um, but if it did, that's clearly a a Stephen Kingism right there and a shout-out to the the Dark Tower. And then Hodge's interest in the email from the night before is stuck in his head, and he meets up with Pete to inquire about some specifics about the Mercedes case. The cat-and-mouse chase has begun, and Bill looks into it some more, trusting his detective skills while surfing the web to discover another video tease from Brady. Now, my problem with Bill from the books was that he never was the sharpest knife in the drawer. He was good. He was a good man. He was likable. But in the first book, he didn't impact the downfall of Brady in any significant way. 
However, not only is Brendan Gleeson playing him with a determination that defines Bill Hodges, but also a keen detective mind that I felt that the printed counterpart lacked. Kelly and Bender tease the confrontation between these two, already this early on in the story, by having Bill go to the electronics store that Brady works at, interacting with his boss and co-worker. Between the purposeful pass-by in his ice cream truck and now his visit to the electronics store, their worlds are orbiting very, very closely. Bill then heads to the impound warehouse where sits the broken Mercedes that had been used as the weapon. Even though it's just an actor looking at a piece of machinery, I have to admit it's a scene that works. He's been there countless times before. He knows that car in and out. It lives with him, and yet he can't walk away from it. And that is how the first episode concludes. That was enough for me to continue watching the second episode, which I will begin here. And I think it's the first time that we're seeing these credits. It's a fun beginning, just reinforcing the day-to-day -day grind um, and the, the monotony of Bill Hodges. And then we cut to Bill watching a video of the young mother and her daughter who were killed by Brady in the attack. At first you think that Bill is just obsessing, and he is, but he's not just wallowing in this unsolved case. Um, you know, this video changes with, again, Brady's cheesy editing, and it's disturbing. It's done really well. And his obsession, along with his healthy drinking, leads him to explore a, no a noise that he hears outside. And at first you think that's just his turtle. Love the fact that he has a turtle, by the way. I don't remember this from the book, so I think this is a show invention. Um, it's a fun, it's a fun little addition, just like Ida is. But it turns out that's not his turtle. It's one of those street hockey kids in his backyard. Now, Bill charges in with his flashlight and gun drawn, ready to fire. His frayed nerves nearly take the boy's life, but thankfully, he's able to restrain himself. Then, with the help of Ida, he's able to sweet-talk the cops into avoiding any future questioning or blame. It's not great that the solution is for him to continue drinking. Now, for a second, I thought that she was trying to liquor him up to take advantage of him. I wonder if Bender and Kelly wanted us to think that. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't necessarily her main goal, but if it was a side effect, she wouldn't complain at the same time. With Bill by himself, the booze is not enough to block the growing anxiety that causes nightmarish images of almost shooting the boy and of the dead mother and the child. And man, the way that Brendan Gleeson's large frame just squeezes into the corner, it just, just makes you feel for him. And, and maybe, again, maybe it's my prejudice of the books. Maybe it's just I couldn't get into the, 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 the books the way that I believe that King wanted me to. But, but here... Just seeing the vulnerability in in Bill, played by Brendan Gleeson, who's a, a big guy, um, just to see him so fragile in that moment, it, it's hard to watch. Then we get another scene of, of Brady and his co-workers, and then we get an extended scene with Bill trying to wipe bird shit off of his car while I, I believe it's Leonard Cohen plays. Now, again, again, it's moments like this that distinguish the show for me. It'll, it, moments like this it allow these characters to breathe. Moments like when Bill gets to the police station and he goes to move to, to sit at his old desk. Now, it's a quick moment. It's a small moment. One that's not drawn attention to. You can miss it very, very easily. It's a quick bit of blocking. But knowing what Bill just did right there, it really reinforces Bill's isolation and directionlessness. The conversation between he and Pete, it doesn't go great, and again, we get an extended scene of Brennan Gleeson just being able to own it, own the scene. 
there's this legitimate tension as he drives away, knowing that he's unspooling, knowing that we have seen him rush into his backyard with his gun drawn, knowing that he's just spending his time drinking, watching these videos, seeing him curl up in a ball in the corner. Like, it just makes you worry as he starts to drive away that something is going to happen. And it almost does. He, he's very nearly hit by a car. Um, and Jack Bender's decision to stay with him you know, we're in the passenger seat watching him. Uh, it's just one of those masterful little touches that, and the way that, that, that Gleason's just bearish body fills that tiny car, it, it's truly something to behold. And then back at Brady's house, we get a little bit more between Brady and his mom, which, you know, when I talk about tension, you know, David Kelly and, and Jack Bender make the right decision here to actually humanize Deborah. She isn't just some insensuous, drunken harpy. I mean, she makes her son a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She's honestly concerned about his well-being. And in that moment, she honestly loves him with a genuine mother's love. But because it is prefaced with sincerity, that's what makes the incest all the much, much worse. Bill then stalks the house of Olivia Trelawney with some flashbacks, the interrogation between her and her the partners the years before. And as he's stalking the house, he's beset upon by the security guard. And man, it is awesome. So, again, I, I talked about an aspect of Bill. I just didn't feel like he was that good at his job. But in moments like this where he immediately takes control of the situation and uh, asks for um, documentation on the right to carry and... You know, he, he's quoting, you know, the general law and just whatever. Like, it it just shows his mind, you know, and how his mind works and how it's built. And I like the fact that the security guard is one up on him the entire time. He has everything that he needs. But it's good because it shows that the security guard is good at his job. But it also shows that, that Bill still has this mind um, for a detective and is just good at, at, at just being him, I guess. <laughs> Um, then, then back at the, the that Best Buy type store, Lou and Brady's boss reams them out about something. Now, I, I got to admit, um, it's the one plot point I didn't find that interesting in the book. I don't find it that interesting here. Um, maybe future episodes will change that. But for now, I just find myself spacing out whenever whenever it cuts the electronic place. Bill then visits Ida with a donut. They sit in her gazebo, they drink tea, they have a conversation about fastidiousness. It's a really good touch to have the personification of order living next door to a man who is uh, unraveling into chaos. After he gets pressed about the state of his health, he uses the excuse to feed his tortoise. Um, and what a great excuse to just get out of things. And I want to start to use, you know, if I want to just get out of a conversation. I'm sorry, I got, I got to get home, I got to feed my tortoise. Returning home, he finds a letter from Brady, now referring to himself as the titular Mr. Mercedes, and includes the information for Bill to log into Debbie's blue umbrella. Jerome shows up with his dog. As he lets himself, as he lets him outside, we hear that ominous bell of the ice cream truck. We're following the following scene between Bill and Jerome leads to Bill's admission about his real name, which leads to a nice chuckle from Jerome. Kermit being the, the name. Now, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. Um, I am not entirely convinced about Jerome. Um, 
you know, I, aside from the one character trait from the books that I had an issue with in which he sometimes talked like a slave, I really liked the character Jerome. Here, I'm not sold. Um, I'm hoping that he grows on me as he has more to do in the upcoming episodes. But all, but right away, he, he doesn't he doesn't pop out of the character the way that Brendan Gleeson does or the way that uh, Harry Treadwell does. Now, back at Brady's place, he monologues to Mom about his remotes. He provides exposition about his magic remote control. Though the conversation is given to his mother, it's really information given to us. You know, Harry Treadwell does a great job here, and for the first time, I feel like he's actually Brady. He's uncomfortable in his own skin. He has slight tics, little grunts. He's awkward, yet confident, slimy, yet vulnerable. There's a loving playfulness between these two characters, which makes their true relationship that much worse to observe. Now, speaking of relationships, Bill is about to embark on his own relationship as he meets, as I had talked about, uh, Mary Louise Parker, who is playing uh, Janie Peterson. Um, And like I said, this is great casting. Um, I mean, she was a spitfire of a character in the book and was perfectly cast here. Um, with Mary Louise Parker. Now, she is someone that never crossed my mind while reading the book, but as soon as as I heard her being cast, it just slammed into place with the obviousness of Blaine the Mono slamming into the Topeka station. So I'm very excited to, to see what she has to bring to the role because I imagine that she's going to knock it out of the park. Now, our episode concludes with our two main characters facing off against each other, staring at their respective computer screens after Bill has sent Brady a message to play the game. And strong ending, and it wants me to keep on going. And I think this is going to do very well um, when it's when it's all said and done and whatever platform it, it lands, whether it be Netflix or whatever, there's going to be a great show to just binge. Um, so I'm, I'm excited at the future of, of this, this property. Um, I find myself, guys, I find myself excited about Mr. Mercedes um, and, and looking forward to seeing how David E. Kelly and Jack Bender are going to you know, give us the story of Finders Keepers and End of Watch. So, you know, my final thoughts here, um, like I said, I, I didn't think that in the books, Bill Hodges was the, the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, I, I never was able to get behind him. But guys, Brendan Gleeson, oh, he's so good in this role. I mean, you really feel for him. You know, like I said, he just looks like this bear you know with his beard and um but with that said he's a teddy bear you know you just you feel so bad for the guy he's got his hangdog eyes he has a gentle look you know when when he's at his most vulnerable you know in a small confines of the car or just wedged into the corner um or just just uncomfortable around ida when she just wants to have sex with him you know another character would just jump at it but he is uncomfortable around it you know and um He's just, or even the conversation with Pete, you know, he's lost, he's alone, he's aimless, he's directionless. I mean, there's no purpose in life. And Brendan Gleeson sells all that. You know, his moments alone, his moments with others, you know, they're they're perfectly rendered. You know, his interactions with Pete feel loaded and comfortable with, with history shared between the two guys. His banter with Jerome, it's easy, it's genuine, it works. And these two characters need um, chemistry. 
you know, and, and every scene he shares with Ida are legitimately funny. Um, and all the scenes, you know, when he's by himself are captivating. So, I mean, it was going to, I guess the, the casting of Bill was going to make or break this show. And I wasn't behind Bill in the books, but seeing what Brendan Gleeson is able to give us here, it, 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 it's making me look at Mr. Mercedes from a completely different lens, um, and it's it's doing wonders at um, at just making me appreciate this show in a way that I, I couldn't appreciate the books. I mean, it's the best thing that could have happened to this character. Um, I, I believe that he's making me see Bill um, in a way that I, I think that King wanted me to originally. Um, and maybe, maybe I just approached Mr. Mercedes from the wrong angle. I, I like most of Finders Keepers and most of End of Watch, but I just, I felt, like I said, that Mr. Mercedes was lacking. And I, I don't know if this show is proving, you know, that I read the text wrong or that it's just showing that it, it can find the, the, the fullest potential with a different perspective. I, I don't know, but I do know this. I am enjoying it a lot. Um, and I strongly, strongly recommend Mr. Mercedes. So, um... You know, I, I just, I, I'm all in on everything that David E. Kelly and Jack Bender are doing here. I mean, just the fact that there's a running subplot about his neighbor mad at him for not looking at her nudies. It's just, it's a touch that makes this show pop and it just makes it fun to watch. Now, I, I've talked about, you know, picket fences, but, you know, I mean, David E. Kelly is also the guy that gave us Alan McBeal, The Practice, Boston Legal, Boston Public, others. I mean, he is one of the industry's most reliable showrunners and creators. And, and sometimes that word dependable it gets a bad rap and i why i mean yeah it's not visionary you know in in the in the world of auteur showrunners it's it's easy for david e kelly to get lost in conversation but the man has consistently been making memorable television shows since the 90s because the guy knows how to make television and it shows with mr mercedes now think about some of the scenes in this show Bill and Pete eating a hot dog in the first episode while looking over the water. Now, we have seen that scene before, but it works because it's a scene that we need. And David Kelly knows that. So he gives us these types of scenes. And when he does, it doesn't feel redundant. It feels necessary and it feels masterful. It's it's precise. All right. Um, there's a formula that that he is following here. It's tried and true. Um and, you know, say what you will about formula, formulaic um, television or, or storytelling. Um, there are times when it, it, it feels dull. There are times when you don't see the formula because the, the, the adherence to the formula um, combined with just master hands combining the elements makes for a wonderful show. And I think that that's what we're getting here. Um, so... I, like I said, I strongly recommend it, guys. Um, it's a good-looking show. It's well done. It's well acted. It, it it allows time for our characters to just interact with one another, to have fun on the screen, to really own these characters. It allows scenes to breathe. Um, there's a legitimate tension in the show. Um, I'm all in. I'm all in on it. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what, what the, the future holds for me watching it. I don't know if I will get to the rest of the show when it pops up on, I assume, Netflix or, or wherever. Or if I will, you know, scrounge up, you know, money for the duration of, of uh, 
this season. Um, I don't know, but uh, if you have DirecTV, there is no reason why you shouldn't be watching this because uh, it's it's wonderful. I, I really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was really happy to sit down and be able to share my thoughts on, on Mr. Mercedes and to completely flip the, the script here, when I sat down to record the review of Mr. Mercedes the book, I didn't want to get to it. I didn't want to I didn't want to reread that book. I didn't want to record my views on that book. I just wanted to avoid that book. And then here I am, um, a couple years later, uh, and, and I can't wait to talk about Mr. Mercedes. I can't wait to watch the next episode. Like I said, I'm all in. Um, go see it, guys, because uh, it's it's really fun. And there's a couple Easter eggs. I mean, there's the number 19, which we saw. Um, and then there's Pet Cemetery by the Ramones playing. You know, Brady was listening to this on, on the way to work, which was a... Um, a really, really nice touch, of course, Pet Cemetery by the Ramones, created for um, the movie Pet Cemetery. So that was just a fun little uh, little Easter egg. And I'm sure that, I, I don't know if, if there were more, I didn't catch any. Um, but if, if we saw that already, I'm sure that we're going to see a couple more uh, Easter eggs uh, over the next eight episodes, which is pretty awesome that we have eight more episodes. Uh, I'm sure that everyone's going to lose their mind once we meet Holly, because I know that Holly is is the fan favorite of, of the series. So I'm interested to see what, what we what we do with that. And so David E. Kelly and Jack Bender, you're doing really, really good work um, in a summer where uh, Stephen King adaptations <laughs> have not been the best. So thank you for, for giving me a little bit more hope. And I think that this is a nice bridge um, to our next adaptation, which is going to be coming in less than a month, a couple weeks. We're going to be getting it. So I'm very, very excited, guys. So I know that last week I said that this week I was going to do a review of one of the movies based on Night Shift. But uh, but I don't know, maybe next week um, or maybe next week will be a, a um, an interview with uh, with someone else regarding Stephen King. So, you know, whatever it is, um, I will be here next week. Um, and may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells... Stephen King cast. Cause he's also the